You can follow along on the screen if you like. And I'm going to give you some parts to say, okay? So here we go. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, for he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Would you read with me verse 6? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Let them by a straight way till they reach the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death prisoners in affliction and in thorns for they rebelled against the words of God and he spurn and spurned the counsel of the most high so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help verse 13 then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress he brought them out of the shadowness shadow of death and burst their bonds apart let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shadows, shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the seas in ships doing business on great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord and his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and he raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight and they reeled and staggered like drunken men and, their wit and were at their wit's end. Verse 28, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad that the waters were quiet, that he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of its evil inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes, 
and makes them wander in trackless ways. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright will see it and be glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you attend to the cries of the needy. And we thank you, Lord, as we look back uh, on this past year and as we've begun a new year, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. We thank you, Lord, that your steadfast love endures forever. And God, as we look back and remember those things, we can look forward and have faith in the very same things, your goodness and your steadfast love. And so this morning, God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things that are in your law. Uh, God, this morning, I want to pray, too, just for little Nicola. We just need your touch, Lord, in Children's Hospital. God, I ask that you would touch that little girl, that you would comfort her mama, that you would heal her in Jesus' name. And God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Right on. Great psalm. Um, and it's interesting, this, the psalmist uh, begins by urging us in the first verse to give thanks to God for his goodness, to give thanks to God for his steadfast love. And then at the end, he exhorts us and he says that those who are wise will think on these things and they'll, they'll consider them. They'll, they'll be wise and they'll live in consideration of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now sandwiched in the middle, all in between, are a few different folks described in the psalm, each in a different place with a different need, with a different situation where they found themselves in this point in life where they need God's deliverance. They need God to come through, either from a situation that's the result of their own foolishness and their own doing, or maybe on the basis of circumstances that are totally out of their control. They just found themselves in that situation. In each situation, when they called on the Lord, he delivered them. He delivered them. Look what it says again in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has gathered from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. You know, if you think about what we can give God, you know, here we just had Christmas time. I hope you guys had a rocking Christmas time. We had a great, great time and it was really fun. Lots of kids in our house with my sister home. The presents around the tree, we gave our gifts, we celebrated, it was lots of fun. But it was Jesus' birthday and we remembered that at the same time. But you know, as you think about gifts, what can we give God? I mean, what do I have that I can give God? It needs my wisdom? I think not. Uh, my, my money, my, my this, my that. I mean, in reality, God doesn't need any of that stuff. And so what can I give him? What can I do to enrich him? What does he need uh, for me that he doesn't, have and the psalmist says that we can give thanks to God. It's really all we can give him if you think about it to thank him for his faithfulness, for his supply, for his goodness and the psalmist says, 
Oh, give thanks. Oh. Which that word, oh, just intensifies the fact that we should give thanks to the Lord through the praises of our lips, through the thanksgiving of our lips, but not just through the thanks of my lips, but through the thanks of my living. It's been called thanksgiving and thanks living. And the name of the Lord that is used here is that name Jehovah. And Jehovah is not worship with groans, oh, if I have to. Oh, if I got to go to church. God is not, Jehovah is not worship with groans and with cries. He's worship with thanksgiving because the psalmist says he is good. He is good. Good in the nature of his character. Good in the nature of his very essence. Proven good by all of his acts. In comparison to him, the scripture says there is no one good. No, not one. He is infinitely good. And as his creation, we're partakers in his goodness. We share in his goodness. Those who know his salvation work are consumers of his goodness. And above all else in creation, those who know salvation should thank thank the creator, our father. And our praises should increase. Over the years, as we get to know the Lord and we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, so our praise and our thanksgiving should grow. It should be the overflow of our lives to give thanks to God. And one of the reasons the psalmist says that is because God's goodness is eternal, like his love. It's not transient. It's not temporary. It's not short-term. His goodness does not come and go. His goodness is not here today and gone tomorrow. Jehovah's goodness is an attribute of his steadfast love and it endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It has no beginning and it has no end. His love and his goodness have no beginning and they have no end. They are eternal. And so the psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let those he has redeemed from trouble say those things. That God is good, that his steadfast love endures forever. What other, whatever others might think, the redeemed of the Lord must think this, and they must say it. God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. overflowing with thanksgiving to the Lord because we've been redeemed by the goodness and the love of Jehovah and the Redeemer is glorious. We know that the ransom price was immense. The redemption is complete and so we give him thanks. We don't just feel thanksgiving inside in our hearts but we're to proclaim it with our lips. We're to verbalize it. We say so. The redeemed of the Lord say so. God is good. Jesus, redeem me from trouble. Jesus, redeem me from the foe. Jesus, redeemed me from my enemy. We were snatched up by his love. We were snatched up by a power that was greater than our sin. We were oppressed. But Jehovah liberated us. He's redeemed us from trouble. It's a divine redemption. No one else could have done it. No one else has done it. 
No one helped him. He was completely unaided in his work. He came and he rescued. Heaven came down. The Son of God clothed himself in human flesh and his holiness was uncompromised and no one helped him and he saved us. And we should always thank him. We should not have hearts of stone, but eyes that are quick to see and hearts that are soft to God because he came to rescue us, to bestow his grace upon us. And it's appropriate that those who were once slaves should thank him who redeemed them. Should not gratitude flow from the heart of those who have been rescued to the rescuer? The Lord is my righteousness. God saved me. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago that when we get to heaven, we will call Jesus Jehovah Sidkenu. You are my righteousness. There'll be nothing else to say. You did it. I've got nothing to claim. I cast my crowns down. These are filthy rags, everything I have to offer. You are my righteousness, Jesus. Heaven has no sweeter hymn than redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And Jehovah has redeemed us from all sorts of places. You know, if we think about things that we experienced over the past year or places that we came from before we knew Jesus. Some of us live life without direction. Some lived uh, wandering and, and lost and we were hungry and we were thirsty and the psalmist talks about that. He says this, verse four, some wandered in deserts finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The desert. You know, when I think about the desert, I gotta think that that is one of the worst places. It must be the worst place to ever get lost. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I grew up here on the Sunshine Coast. Like, put me in flat land, and I get spun around really easy. I don't know if others are like that, but I've got my reference points, the mountains and the valleys and the low points and the high points, and put me somewhere flat. But I think about the, and I'm lost, but I think about the desert, and it's gotta be the very worst place to get lost. There's no road, there's no track, there's no path to follow, there's no shade, there is no water, there's no food source. You're exposed to all of the heat of the blazing sun. All of the sand beneath your feet is burning hot. And the psalmist says here, some wandered in deserts. He said earlier that that those redeemed of the Lord are gathered together from the north and the south and the east and the west. But those who wander in the desert have no city. No one to journey with them. They cannot find a home, no place to lay their head, nothing to eat, nothing to drink, no comfort, uh, no peace. I mean, the desert is a lonely wasteland where individuals find no companion in their misery. And there was none to help. 
And they could not help themselves, but the psalmist says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It was not until their soul fainted within them that they, cr- did, that they cried to the Lord. It was not until they came to the very end of themselves that they called on the Lord and they prayed. And in the time of need, when they called upon them, when they called upon the Lord, when they were starving, when they were parched with thirst, it was when hunger and thirst and wandering in the desert brought them to their knees that they called on the Lord and he brought them to a fountain named Jesus. The Lord was ready to save. The cry was probably pretty feeble without food and in the heat of the desert and with nothing to drink. A feeble and faint cry, but that's when the Lord loves to come to the rescue. When we come to the end of ourselves and we call upon him. And it says that he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. A straight way. You know, there's so many wrong ways in life, isn't there? Wrong ways that you can take, wrong paths, and there's only one right way. Jesus was asked by Thomas, how can we know the way? And you know those words of Jesus that he said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, we never need to ever question that. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the straight path. Jesus is the answer for the one who is wandering and is lost. And the desert was like a pathless maze. But Jesus leads us in a straight way. The wanderer was hungry, but Jesus is the bread of life. The wanderer was thirsty, but Jesus offers water that wells up into eternal life. And Jesus doesn't lead us from one desert into another. It says here that he leads into a city. He makes a straight path into the city. A a place to lay your head, a place to rest, a, a place where you can have a home and Find comfort and peace. I was thinking about that. Home is so refreshing. I I just, I hope you've had an awesome Christmas holiday. I know it's not always the easiest time with family and stuff like that. Uh, But we had an awesome time. And uh, one of the things I love, you know, on on New Year's Day, it was was four o'clock when we got out of our pajamas. (laughs) Because we said, well, we should probably go for a walk at least. And we got out in the sun and we went for a a walk and there's something refreshing about home. To lay your head on your pillow, to rest on the couch, to sit uh, and read a book, to watch some TV, to play some game with family, to be around ones that you love. Home is refreshing. And when I think about what God can do and what I can do, Those are two very vast different things. And the psalmist says, we can find no city. We're lost. We're wanderers. But God, the way, Jesus Christ, has no trouble leading us to his city. And so the psalmist says, 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. When we've lost our way, the solution is to call in the name of Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy the longing of a soul. And when he does satisfy, what can we do? Satisfy us, what can we do but give him thanks? He says in verse 10, speaking of someone else, the condition of one who's lost his freedom, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of, out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast Love for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Psalmist says that, that rebellion against the word of the Lord leads an individual to a place that might, you might compare to prison. We're not talking like Canadian version, three-star prison or whatever it is. This is a cell of darkness. It's a cell in the shadow of death where there is a fear of execution that casts blackness over the soul. I think about a place like that and I think it's suffocating. It's, it just feels like it wants to suck the life of me. It may as well be a, out of me. It may as well be a, a, a tomb or a grave or a coffin where the dread of death strangles light and strangles life. You remember life in bonds without Christ? Bondage was the result of not being loyal to the name of Jesus, not knowing the Lord. And God's word is not to be considered something that is unimportant, that doesn't matter. And those who think that, it, that it's so, those who think that they know better, they leave the ways of the Lord to walk in their own. They say, I'm wiser than you. I know more than you. I will live life according to my own word, not according to your word. And they, they choose not to live by the authority of God's word, but by the authority of their own. And the psalmist says, so God does this. He bows down their hearts in hard labor. And they fell down with none to help. None to help, no one to pity. You know, in my mind's eye, I, I, I see the Israelite in the Egyptian mud pit there. Making bricks laboring with each step to mix the, the mud and the straw and to make mortar for bricks and fashion them for the slave master. And none, there's no one to help in the seemingly endless hard labor. It was a desperate situation. And I think about the world and working in the world. And you hear the cry, well, it's almost Friday, living for the weekend. Men, men toil in pain and they suffer in their work. You know why men hate work? Men who hate work are men that don't know the Lord. They hate Monday through Friday. For those who know Jesus, Monday through Friday is just another opportunity to praise and to give thanks. 
To go to work becomes a joy when you thank God in the midst of your work. When you praise him, when you say, let the work of my hands bring you glory. May my life bring you glory as I labor here amongst these people. Work is a blessing when it's done in the presence of God because he is our helper. The man who does not know God goes to work and he has no one to help him. The one who knows Jesus goes to work and says, Lord, I need your help today. Would you give me guidance? Would you direct me? Would you direct the conversation? Would you make my work glorify you? Would you make my life glorify you in the midst of this work? And he worships as he works. And his presence is a blessing to others and his presence is a blessing to God and God fills and floods his life. And sin and rebellion against the word of God leaves man in a desperate situation. But the psalmist says this, when, when they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them from their distress. See, there was no one to help until they looked up. No one to help until they looked above. I think about the man working in the pits, the Israelite, looking down in his work, and there was no help until he learned to look up. There was no cry in their hearts until they were brought down low. And all other hope was dead. And then they cried to the Lord. And out of the helplessness and misery in that cry, that's when a man prays best. When we come to the end of ourselves and there God meets us. He saves those lost in wandering. He saves those in the openness of the desert. And he frees those who are in the confines of prison. Bolts and bars and iron and darkness and death does not shut out the Lord. Bolts and bars and iron and darkness and death does not scare God when we call upon him. He brought them out of the darkness of death, out of the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart, the psalmist said. See, my friends, Jesus has freed us from the iron fetter. Jesus has freed us from the suffocation of a confined space and he's brought us into an open, broad place where which we can serve him. He sets us free by his power. Never to be chained again. Dungeon doors have flung open at the name of Jesus and all chains have been snapped. Psalm 116 says this, you have loosed my bonds you have loosed my bonds and I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will call on the name of the Lord. And this psalmist in 107 says in verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he shatters the door, doors of bronze and he cuts into the bars of iron. You know, it reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, Samson went to the city of Gaza and he ripped the gates out of the ground. He, he pulled the, their posts and the entire gates and he put them on their shoulders and the scripture tells us in the book of Judges that he carried them off and he set them on the hill at Hebron, oh my friends, the iron gates of hell are no ma match for Jesus Christ. 
Hell's brass gate has been carried off and it has been set on the hill of Golgotha. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For those who have lost their freedom, Jesus has a plan for a prison break. The psalmist goes on, he says this. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men and let them offer the sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. The psalmist tells us here that many times sickness is the direct result of foolishness and sin. Not always. But there are times, you know, the man without the Lord indulges himself in the pursuit of sin and they suffer physically for their folly. Sin is at the bottom and at the root of all human sorrow. And some sorrows are the immediate results of wickedness in our lives. And the psalmist here speaks of the one who loses their health. He said, appetite leaves them and they loathe food. You know the stomach, God's given us the stomach to to feed ourselves, to nourish ourselves. We we put food in and, and there we find strength and we find joy and we we live and We've all done too much of that. Did you see Darcy this morning? Darcy got sick over Christmas. He's 20 pounds thinner this morning than he was. That guy was sick. Holy moly. And his stomach turned against his body. It's an awful thing when your stomach turns. Your, your stu- God has designed your stomach to feed you. And it's an awful thing. When the stomach, uh, he's, he's downstairs. If you're looking for him, you can say, wow. Darcy, you look, you look sharp this morning, buddy. How do you lose weight over Christmas? The rest of us, we're going to try and do that after Christmas. <laughs> you know, Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was a, a great British preacher and he began uh, his training as a young man with plans to be a medical doctor. And as he went about his training and Uh, was working in the hospital and um, being trained under other doctors, he began to sense God's call upon his life towards ministry and towards the teaching of the word. And during his training, he deduced this actually, he he believed that 70% of the ills that he was caring for um, were not rooted in physical problems, but they were rooted in a spiritual problem in people's lives. And that's when God really began to press upon him his, his call to, to teach the word of God. See, he could, he could treat the problem or he could be a physician of the soul by spending his life pointing people to the Lord Jesus and try to get to the root of the disease, which was sin. And with a soul that is afflicted by sin's disease, the gospel's the cure. Jesus is the cure. The treatment is the cross. The transfusion is the precious blood of God's lamb. 
The physician that is needed is he who is called great. The great physician. And so the psalmist says here, for those in this place, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. You know, a soldier, a centurion, Roman soldier, once came to Jesus and he appealed to Jesus on behalf of his servant. My servant is at home. He is, he is sick. He is ill. He is dying. And uh, Jesus said this to him. He said, I, I will come and I will heal him. And you know the story. The centurion said, Lord, I, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. To have you come under my roof. Just say the word and I know that my servant will be healed. I'm a man who understands authority and I know all you have to do is say the word. And Jesus said to the Centurion soldier, go and let it be done as you have believed. And the scripture tells us that the servant was healed at that very moment. See, Jesus sent forth his word and he healed. The Lord Jehovah sent forth his word and he healed. And we should get that picture. Jesus, Jehovah, the Lord sends forth his word and heals. Jesus said this in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus has a healing for you. It's this. Receive his word and you'll pass from death into eternal life. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. I think my wife said recently that our BC medical costs went up. Didn't it, did it go up or like MSP? Up, 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 you know. Isn't that like the, the bane of Canadians? The costs of medical care. And we're thankful for what we have, very thankful that we don't live in another, another country or in another s- situation. My friends, the great physician, there is a fee to his services. Just like you pay out the doctor, the government pays on your behalf, there is a fee to the great physician that belongs to him for his work in your life. And it's the fee of gratitude. It's the fee of gratitude You tell of his deeds. You worship him for his deeds. You say, oh great physician, you are great. Oh my God, you are great. You are my physician. You have healed my soul. With my soul, I magnify you and I glorify you and I worship you, Jesus. And when we call on God, Jehovah rescues. Jesus rescues When we lose our way, he rescues. When we find ourselves in bondage and in prison, he liberates us. When we lose our freedom, he can heal us when we lose our health and he can restore us when we've lost hope. Look at verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. 
They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and they staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. There's something that's kind of adventurous and mysterious about traveling across the sea. In ancient days, you know, I think about in ancient days, now we've got GPS and all these different things, but in ancient days, navigation was by the stars. I mean, you didn't, you didn't just go out and play on the water for fun because you had nothing better to do because you're taking your life in, in, into your hands. And there is something about the sea that, that's kind of chaotic because a man can't control it. I mean, you're placing your life in the hands of nature as you get in some little vessel to go out into the water. And the mariner at times kind of seems to stare death in the face. You know, over, over the last number of years, we've been, we've been renting out the church two, two or three times a year to a course that's taught here. And they just use the space throughout the week. And, it, and it's like some sort of Transport Canada certification for commercial sailors and stuff like that. And the guys are here all week long. And it's kind of fun. I mingle with them throughout the week and try to put my earplugs in and not be bothered by them. Uh, I think I could... I, I'm about ready to audit the course and pass. <laughs> but, um, but one of the things that's is so fascinating is just to hear about the chaos of the sea and the danger and the need for safety and uh, understanding and, and preparation. And the psalmist says that th- there is something about the sea that is beyond the, where we live as land dwellers that reveals the greatness of God's work. You know, I was thinking about our, our men's kayak trips. Over the years, we've seen some just beautiful nature that we wouldn't see unless we were out on sea, uh, out, out on the ocean. One year, we were in Seashell Inlet, and our group was kind of split up, and Al, Alan and I were paddling together, and we were coming towards uh, Kunichin Point in Seashell Inlet, and we saw this funny thing happening in the water that looked like someone taking a breaststroke. And we thought, what the heck is that? And the waves were going up and down and we were losing it. And we thought, what is that? And so we paddled towards it. And here, as we got close, we saw that it was a a bald eagle and it was swimming in the water, doing a breaststroke like this. And we thought, what the heck? It was trying to make its way towards the shore and it just, you could see the thing was struggling and, barely hanging on and seemed like it was going to drown and so we we kept watching and we followed and we followed and as that eagle got to the shore it hopped up onto the rock and we saw that it had a big salmon in its talons (laughs) and it couldn't pick up the weight of this fish. It was awesome. And uh, you know there's, there's wonders in God's ocean. The ocean's an adventurous place, right, Greg? Yeah. And, and when God commands, he can raise up the stormy wind and he can lift 
the waves of the sea and look at all of the adventure. Woo, this is fun. Adventure is like gone. And fear comes. And it grips your heart. And you, and you fear for your survival. And in many ways, life is much like the ocean. Life is adventurous, but it is unpredictable. Sometimes life is calm and sometimes life sends the storms. Sometimes the, the sea is like it is kind of out there right now, kind of glassy. Other times, uh, you know, the wind blows and the rain pelts and the blue sky disappears and blackness comes. The waves rise from the heavens to the depths, up to the heavens and down to the depths and hope flees like a bird gone on the wind. And the soul melts because of trouble. And you sense weariness and you're wet and you're beaten by life's storms. And the same thing can happen in the soul of man that happens in the ocean. That there, there can be a hush in one moment and there can be a spiritual storm in another. An internal hurricane when your heart melts for lack of hope and we come to our wit's end. That's what the psalmist says. They come to their wit's end. But then, they cry to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. See, when there was no hope, uh, when there was seemingly no way out, when all hope was gone, when they cried to the Lord, God delivered from distress. Verse 29 says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them into their desired haven. I love that word haven right there. Brought them into their haven. My friends, I mean, I gotta ask, of whom do you believe the psalmist spoke of as he wrote these things? Is it not Jesus? Is this not Jesus being described here? Is it not him who said, why are you afraid, O little of faith? He who rose and rebuked the wind and the waves and there was great calm, is it not he of whom men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, Jesus commands the storm and he ordains the calm. The waves bow in silence at his feet. He says to the waves, as the scripture tells us, this is your boundary and you will go no further. And it's the same with the storms of life. I would tell you this, when you find yourself in a storm of life, take hope in this, that Jesus always says, this is your boundary and you will go no further. And when he says be still, the storm will be still. And a storm can rage in the mind of a, of a man. And in a moment, the Lord can send to that same mind a peace that surpasses all understanding. How does that happen? It's raging right in here. It's raging in here. And we call on God and the storm goes. Peace comes. We're calm. From hurricane to calm. And you can have outward troubles you can have inward fears and yet you call on the name of the Lord and at the Lord's word in an instant, peace comes. 
And your heart that was devoid of hope finds hope again in quiet waters. And God says, come into the haven of my presence. Come, into, come to my shore. Come into port. It reminds me of the, I, I forget the hymn writer's name. Somebody's going to be able to tell me here in a minute, but the hymn writer who uh, lost his children as they were traveling, he sent his family on ahead to England as he was in Chicago and his, all his property ended up getting destroyed in the Chicago fire, lost everything. He sent his children on ahead to England and as they were crossing the Atlantic Sea, the, the ship went down in a storm and he lost all of his children. And the story goes that as he traveled across the Atlantic to England, the captain of the ship paused at the place. He said, it's about here, somewhere around here where the ship went down, where your children were lost. And it was there that that hymn, wroter, uh, hymn writer took a pen and he wrote that famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. I, I f the words are slipping my mind right now. You know, the storms and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, the billow. It is well with my soul. Because there are no hopeless situations in God's sight. God can do the impossible and God can bring peace when there has been a storm that is beyond imagine. And so the psalmist says, pay the great physician. Give him what is his due. And it's this, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. See, when Christ has led you from stormy sea into calm waters, there is an obligation upon your life. And the obligation is this, you thank him. You praise him. You tell of his wondrous works in the congregation of the people. And I think that's why it's so important we gather as the body of Christ as part of what we're doing this morning. We're fulfilling what the scripture tells us to do when we praise, when we sing, when we lift our hands and we declare the goodness of God. I worship you, Jesus. I glorify you. I surrender my heart to you. Tell of his wondrous works in the congregation of his people. The psalmist goes on, he says this in verse 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. I think of Sodom and Gomorrah when I read that. You know, when Abraham and Lot came to the land and they said, we've become too great, there's too many of us, we need to go our separate ways. Lot, you choose. You pick where you want to go. The scripture says that Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember why? Because there was no place like it on earth. It was a fruitful valley that was beautiful and lush. And God can take a fruitful land and he can turn it into a salty waste like he did with Sodom and Gomorrah because of the evil of its inhabitants. But he can also do this, he can turn a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. Uh, and 
And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in and they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful field and by his blessing they multiply, multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. Verse 39. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, and evil and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and he makes them wander in trackless wastes, deserts. And he raises up the needy, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and he makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all, the wi and all wickedness shuts its mouth. The redeemed of the Lord say so. They speak of the goodness of God in the land of living, but the wicked, their mouths are shut. And then the psalmist says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You know, I think about this past year that we've all come through and what lays ahead of us. And I don't know what lays ahead of us. You know, last year had its surprises for some of us and there were good things and there were awful things and in the midst of it all, God sustained us and he carried us and he brought us through. And we don't know what the future holds, but this we know. When we lose our way, when we lose our freedom, when we lose our health, when we lose our hope, the Lord is worthy of our trust. When we lose our way, when we lose our freedom, when we lose our health, when we lose our hope, we can call on the name of the Lord and he will come and he will deliver us. And we will bring him the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the praise of our lips. You know, in Psalm 96, it says this. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. And he will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let him consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Why don't you guys stand with me?